Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Every time I watch, listen, uh, the question and answer session, which has now been christened TTT, this time tomorrow, of course today it was different, I get amazed by what people are doing, what people will be doing uh, in the next day, or what they have been doing. Uh, on a particular time, especially because we ask that question in the morning, especially what people do with their morning time. I'm reminded each time I watch this of the period 18 months ago of what had happened to this country and generally to this world. I would think we all remember but it seems like a distance past. Recently, I watched a comedy recording entitled Recent Nostalgia. I don't know how many watched it. It was um, a filming uh, that was uh, done by a guy called Jason Manford. It was filmed in Sheffield. He starts by saying, in this country, People, when they go out to a show or to watch something, normally they want an indication of the time when the show will finish. So I found that as something interesting. So I said, oh, maybe I should uh, start by saying my preach will end in 25 minutes. (laughs) I hope I'll stick to that. Uh, He reflected on the... COVID-19 lockdown period, and uh, that's what I was referring to when I said what had happened 18 months ago. He said this was an unprecedented time for our generation, and uh, he wondered in the presentation how and uh, what we will be telling our children in future when we tell them the COVID-19 lockdown stories. Would they believe us, just like we never imagined we could be in such a period of total lockdown? With no contact for people, with no visits, and I am one who like people to visit me, but that time it was like, uh, didn't see anyone for quite a long time. And this was the period where we treasured the power of breath. In fact, he said during the period is when most people became cautious of their breath. That we breathe and that we require air for that part. Others have said during the COVID-19, people suddenly began to notice each other's breath. In fact, it said that people were annoyed by (laughs) the breathing of the people that they were living with for some reason. So what will be your story like 
to children in future about the great COVID-19 lockdown of 2020, when toilet papers became treasured commodity, <laughs> higher in demand, when there were long queues outside supermarkets with admission only granted to one person at a time, who had when inside then to observe a one-way route working system. So we had to observe a one-way route working system while in the shop. And can you remember the time we were allowed only one hour to go outside our house for physical exercises? This is also when neighbors would police each other, watch each other making sure that they didn't allow other people from another household within their vicinity. And most important to make sure that at any one time where a family had more than six members, there were not more than six people outside their house exercising. It all seems a distant past. One of the funny things the comedian talked about is on his wife working from home. He said the wife would allow maybe 8.55 a.m. would be upstairs and uh, seemed grittily and saying, no, I'm going to be late for work. <laughs> I'm going to be late for work. And then suddenly she would go downstairs Two minutes, you'll be shouting, I've made it, I've made it. <laughs> Meaning she has logged in to work and she, uh, because we are working from home. Another aspect of people working from home was on the dressing. Most people working from home and or attending official meetings online only paid attention what they were wearing from the West up and not the bottom part. I would say I'm guilty of that. Actually, I took a picture of myself, which I cannot show publicly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, company executives were also doing the same. They wear a jacket, a tie, and a good shirt, but uh, at the bottom maybe pajamas <laughs> or a short. Such was the freedom people experience. Homeschooling put a lot of balance on a lifetime challenge. They never thought they would be in their lifetime. Suddenly, people started appreciating the work that uh, we teachers, I'm also a teacher, the work that we teachers do. Justin Manford jokingly said on this recording, he was so relieved when the COVID-19 lockdown was eased and schools opened. So much that on the first day, he went to wait at his local school with his children at around 6 a.m., <laughs> waiting for at least the housekeeper to open up the place. We really need to thank our teachers for the brilliant work that they do. He went on and on talking about this period, which is historical in our lives, for we have lived it and we can tell the story. Today, we are looking at a topic not necessarily aligned to this story, but you, at the end, appreciate why I've told this story about Johnson Manford 
a comedian being recorded on BBC. The topic for today is Abide in Christ. And the passage that has been chosen forms the basis of Christianity or Christian living. Jesus Christ in this passage expresses what life should look like. In fact, if you go back from, uh, I'll read, first of all, I'll read from John 15 verses 1 to 11. But if you go back to chapter 14, you will see the significance of the words that are uh, written in this uh, chapter 15. In chapter 14, Jesus is like preparing the disciples for the time when he will not be there. And he particularly says he will send the Holy Spirit. And he also instructs them to be bold, to be strong. So if you have your Bible, let's uh, follow this passage, John 15, verses 1 to 11. But otherwise, it will be displayed there. On verse 1, it says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. And this points us to him. Jesus as the vehicle through, we, through whom we get on to the Father God. As a young Christian, I used to struggle with the concept between God and Jesus. And also the concept of what is called the Trinity. The Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But perhaps that's uh, another preach on its own, which maybe will come in future. Here in this book written by John the Apostle, we get to have some explanation between the connection of the Father and the Son, and Jesus as the Son, God as the Father. In verses 2 to 3, which says, He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. Verse 3, You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. God is all perfect. The two verses translate on how we should always focus on him as believers and in relation to our conduct in everyday life, inch and inch or second by second. We are all equal before God. God the Father looks at all people in the same way, regardless of the past or human feelings. He is an ever-loving Father. In verse 3, which I've just read, shows the care that the father has for his son, his people, making, the, making sure that they live how he wishes they should. This passage is his word to especially bring us back to his command. And I'll go on to verse 4 and 6. 4 says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Five, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Six, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Because we are one with him, we need to live life knowing the fact, that fact, and therefore abiding in him. After all, he had to be born in Jesus, an ordinary person, an ordinary man, born to an ordinary man and woman to show us that all is possible to live with him inside us. And verse 7 says, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. With Jesus by our side, all is possible if we live a life by following his teachings. We do not need to suffer at all. He paid it all on the cross. Our happiness is his desire. Always that we should live a happy life regardless of any scheme that the devil might have. So we have to put our trust in him. Verse 8 says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. Fruits in this interpretation of this verse, some have linked them to material things, manifesting as a result of our abiding in him. There is nothing wrong in believing that. The word, the word of God is very rich so that people, some people interpret it in certain ways. As long as they acknowledge the abundance in God's teachings, I believe there is nothing wrong with that. But perhaps the figurative interpretation of this verse would be on how our discipleship ought to be practically. Our conduct, how you conduct yourself on a daily basis. You should be able through your conduct, to draw people to him, to draw people to Christ, those who would otherwise have been lost to the world, bringing them to the true love, of course, such that they will now start also to bear fruits. Verse 9 to 11, 9 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. What a joy. What a joy to know that God, through Jesus, loves us all, regardless. In fact, all what you need to do is just to follow him, 
follow his teachings, abide in Christ. Not only should we follow Jesus as our example of being in him and in the way of God, we should also learn to love other people. As he has loved us, we must also learn to love others. But what is the lesson for the whole passage, John 15, verses 1 to 11? What does this passage point us to? In the passage, like I said before, Jesus is teaching his disciples on the principles of godly living. This is one of those teachings that he left them with before he departed this earth to be passed on to believers in different parts of the world. Its impact is very true if you practice and follow this teaching abiding in Christ. It is one of the keys, if you may, of the kingdom of heaven. First, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Clearly, the passage we have read and the words used show a great care in instructing us to be very passionate about things that matter in God's kingdom. To abide means to dwell, to dwell in Christ. I'm reminded of situation where you are told by an expert to be closer to them in order to be safe. So in some situation, an expert would say, no, just as long as you are with me, you will be okay. For example, when you are visiting an open game reserve for wild animals, the game ranger will instruct you to be close to him and not to wander off on your own to prevent the vicious animals attacking you. We are told the same by the Creator, the giver of life, Jesus Christ, to be closer to him, to be in harmony with God through him for our permanent safety. Christ says, be in me and I'll be in you for your salvation. We have to always yearn to grow a stronger relationship with Christ. If a branch of a tree separates from the tree, it withers and eventually it dies. We have to make sure we are attached to him. We are attached to God through Jesus. Most often, we separate ourselves from Christ because we have not forgiven ourselves or we have not forgiven others. Forgiveness is a key to living a full life of faith and one that truthfully abides in Christ. To forgive oneself means letting go of the past experiences, especially in defining our relationships with God or others. It doesn't matter what you did in the past. Forgive yourself of that in order to be in true harmony with him, in order to be in true harmony with Christ. His grace is bountiful. God uses people as he pleases. Jesus, in fact, never condemned any trade people 
were doing in his time. For example, when he met Simon Peter, one of the disciples, he admired his skills, but said he will now rechannel those skills to save men, to bring them to the kingdom of God. He talked to him and said, you are a fisherman, but from now onwards, you will now be a fisher of men. That's what he said, meaning that he treasures every experience, every skill that people have, but they have to use that skill in order to bring people to his kingdom. You need also to forgive others. The Bible is full of passages that repeat this as the key to detox yourself and receive salvation. In fact, situation that you hold on to anger or a feeling of being offended against others, not forgiving them, it does more harm to you, more than the people you are holding that against. Research indicates that it takes more energy for the body to hate another person than it will take to love, to love another person. I'm more often faced with situations that seems to be uh, where one would not forgive, but on reflection, when I think of where I've come from as a person, how I have surmounted various challenges, how I have amazingly been saved through them, just to have this life, in fact, just to be breathing, I normally realize how small the things uh, that seems to have offended me and quickly forgive the others or forgive the other person who I feel may have offended me. A key forgiveness I can share today with you is maybe do this little exercise. Every time you feel offended, you feel your anger simmering against another person, take a moment, just look up, Look up to the skies. It works more when you are outside. It does not matter whether it's daytime or nighttime. Just look up to the sky. Appreciate what is up there. Sometimes just count the stars that you can see. I tell you, it doesn't matter whether you do it for a second. By the time you look back straight on, or you look down, you realize how insignificant the situation that seems to have offended you is. You realize how insignificant the behavior of the other person is as compared to the grandeur of the creation of God. And this is a very simple therapy for forgiveness and forgetting what may have offended you. In Jesus saying, I've loved you, he recognizes the central part of Christianity or Christian living, to love God, self, and others. Remember when he was asked about the greatest commandments in Matthews 22, verses 35 to 40. He said, one of them, or the passage says, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with his, this question. Teacher, 
which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love God. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. In other words, this summarizes all the Ten Commandments. Love is the center of faith in him. You have to adopt it in order to abide in Christ. In last, in last week's preaching, John touched on the issue of identity. Identity is important in living a life that is fruit-bearing. How others see us and how we see ourselves is very important for salvation. I've taught quite a lot on self-discovery as a key to living a successful life. It is the same principle Jesus taught in Mark, 11, Mark 8, verses 27 to 30, when he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? And this was uh, touched on, like I've said, by John when he preached last week. The passage says, Jesus and his disciples, when they had left Galilee, went up to villages near Caesarea, Philip. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about it. How do you describe yourself? How do we describe ourselves? How do people see you? Do you describe yourself as someone abiding in Christ? Do you say Christ dwells in me? Does your conduct show or indicate that Christ is dwelling in you? You cannot abide in Christ without producing fruits. Just like a healthy tree or a branch produces fruits in dwelling in Christ, the fruits of his grace in you will be all visible for others to see. But we also have to make others come to this amazing realization. That's another thing that uh, Jesus charges us with. We have to make other people abide in him through our conduct. Perhaps, in some cases, without saying it loudly. Though, other times, you have to tell the people, you have to instruct them that this is the safest place that you need to be in dwelling in Christ. I remember visiting a petty shop, uh, more recently, uh, in open shop to buy uh, fish food. The shop owner asked me, if I was a believer or a Christian. 
and which church I attend. I was very surprised. I was taken aback. I had not expected such a question in a pet shop from a man I never knew. I asked him why he had assumed I was a Christian and why he had asked that question. And his answer was that uh, the way I talked and the way I smiled made him to come to that conclusion. He said, you never appear to be upset. I didn't know that he had said something that <laughs> may have made me, oh, <laughs> he tried something that he was trying to make me upset or to be angry. And he said, I never, you never appear to be upset, be angry. And I concluded there must be something behind that which can only be your belief in Christ. And he continued to say, I want to visit your church. I want to see what they teach there. And going back to the comedian where we started, Johnson Manford, why I brought him and why I brought the story that he narrated is because of what I've taught today, what I've preached today, that in our daily lives, we should appear to be dwelling in Christ by our conduct, by the way we speak. He amazed me at the end of his show as he made the audience to stand up. So he made the audience to stand up. Maybe we can stand up. <laughs> so he made the audience to stand up and amazingly, he made them to sing and worship. And this was an audience that would otherwise be described as secular. I was quite amazed. And he's actually brought in some song he said normally I sang at um, assemblies or where used to be sung at assemblies. Some of you may recall them. Maybe you sing, I don't know. Um, the little light of mine, I'll let it shine. I don't know if you know that song. Uh, who knows that song? Ah, let, let's sing it then. Maybe one <laughs> 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 who, who wants to start? <laughs> I won't let it shine. This little more mine. I won't let it shine. Then they were clapping. This little man. <laughs> Then amazingly, he brought in another one, which he says is also a masterclass. He got the whole world in his hands. 
Ah, I, I love that one, but the, the other one that he sang, the last one was even good. Uh, sing Hosanna to the king. Yeah? Uh, let's see. And to end my preach today, know this. First of all, Jesus was never surprised by the miracles he performed. It's just because he knew that the Father was in him. And also take this word. Satan makes people imagine things that are not real. He weakens the soul through unforgiveness. But what you should take home today, the more we walk with him, the more we abide in him, Jesus Christ, the more we will begin to hear his voice in every situation. We will start to hear his voice clearly. And you also might be there, you have listened to what has been preached today, but you are wondering what this is all about, abiding in Christ. 